Welcome to Keeping Up With Life, where we empower you with health, business and family life strategies for you to live your best days. I'm your host, Pippa Hansen. I'm the CEO, a mother of teenagers and have a passion to live an active and healthy life. Each episode contains practical tips and insights on how you can succeed in all aspects of your life, delivered to you in bite-sized pieces to implement straight away. This episode is brought to you by the Sports Injury Clinic, whose mission is to enhance the lives of its clients, staff, other professionals, and the greater community. Today we have Rick Whitehead with us. Rick is a physiotherapist. He has a passion for running injuries, uh, tendons, calf injuries, and really looking forward to um, having Rick here and talking all about calf injuries, often referred to as the old person's injury. (laughs) (laughs) So welcome, Rick. Thanks, Pip. It's great to be here. (laughs) So... You do have a passion for um, running and you've, you know, had some injuries yourself. So I am excited to hear about your knowledge today. Maybe let's start with what the calf is. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess when we're thinking of the calf specifically, we're breaking it down to the muscles that, that sit at the back of the leg. We've got two key muscle groups. The, the ones that we would typically consider would be the, the soleus as the, the main powerhouse in running. Typically, depending on the runner, it can absorb anywhere from six and a half to eight times your, your body weight in force there as such. Um, often, we we may consider the glutes as something which is something which is really important for getting your propulsion, your ability to push off. But if we think of, say, your, your glute max there as an example, it's something that would be lucky to absorb a quarter of that weight there, all things considered. So often for me, when it comes to working with running athletes there as a whole, Um, really honing in on the calf is something which is a high priority of mine. So should you have big calves? Like people talk about that your glutes should be the strongest part, um, Mm -hmm. but you've obviously identified that the calves should be as well. So, you know, sometimes you see people with big calves and you go, oh, you must have really weak glutes because your calves are so big. What's your thoughts on that? Uh, It's a a great question there, all, all things considered. When we think of the calf complex there as a whole, where we're thinking of the the muscular components as something which is certainly of importance, but we're often also thinking of the tendon and the other connective tissues and the roles it has to play there as well. Um, Often when we're thinking of the calf, we're thinking of its ability to absorb it and quickly transfer load, much like a spring there as such. And while muscle has fantastic capacity in terms of being able to produce force, we're also thinking of the tendon as something which has a really, really important role to play of getting that spring action. So often when we're thinking of your your distance runners, um, in particular, a lot of your people with an African background there as such as well, we find that they seem to have quite high calf insertion points. And while there's not necessarily a lot of meat on the bone there as such, there's a fantastic level of spring that comes from the tendon, which often enables them to transfer force and be very efficient with the running that they do. So while I think muscle mass certainly has a role to play, and often in the injured athlete trying to get a bit more muscle mass is something which is super-duper important, we also want to be thinking of trying to condition that spring element as well as we can there as well. Otherwise, getting back onto the, the other muscles of the, the calf there as well, where we're thinking of the, the gastrocnemius there as well, which tends to be the muscle, which is the, the most superficial muscle groups of the calf there as such. And they're the ones that really seem to come to the party when you're doing your more explosive activities, such as your sprinting tasks or really trying to, to jump as far as you can there as such. The, the other muscle that we consider as well, which seems to have less of a role when it comes to calf strains, 
but can also be something which is undervalued when it comes to, to tendon rehab, it tends to be your, your plantaris. It's considered a bit of a, a evolutionary muscle there as such in that as I guess we've developed as a human species, up to 20% of people won't actually have a plantaris muscle there at all. But it's certainly something that we would have considered in the background when it comes to the calf complex as a whole. So does not having one uh, impact people? Does that make them more prone to injuries? Um, not, not necessarily there as such, but um, often it can be something which can niggle away for people who've had more persistent tender-related pain there as such. Great. I do love the spring analogy. It really makes you be able to visualise what you were just talking about with that that force and that ability to jump or, you know, spring off as you're running. Mm-hmm. It's really good. So what are we talking about when we tear a calf muscle then? So. I guess if we're breaking it down to the most basic idea there as such, um, if you're doing a task and the demands on the muscle exceeds what its capacity to do that task is, that's often when we we start to get these, these strains occurring in the muscle. Um, often we find that some people will consider a strain as something as being a lower grade as a tear or something along those lines. But in, in actual practice, it is a term that we, we should be using relatively interchangeably there as such. When we're thinking of the, the calf tear as well, in the past, we used to have this mindset that it would be an injury where there'd have to be a big pop moment or something that would occur for the strain to happen. But often we're finding that in upwards of 50% of calf strains there as such, um, there's been a lot of good research on this. It's been done by Brady Green and Tani Pizzari there recently, but they're finding it can be something which is built gradually over the course of activity or something that even you don't notice until the day after. So there would have been a study that was looking at AFL footy players and they found that 50% of these strains were actually having symptoms first reported the the day after the injury as opposed to something that happens at the time. So is there the option then that you're feeling a strain before you actually do a tear? Yes. Um, It's a really, really interesting one when we're thinking of soleus tears in particular, which seems to make upwards of 80 to 85% of calf injuries there as such, rather than, I guess, it being hypothesized that it is something which goes pop, much like, say, a hamstring or a quad strain or other things there. It's a bit unique that given it's a muscle that's a bit more slow twitch, um, it might be something which comes on due to a sense of cumulative fatigue and an overall failure there over time. The, the other theory behind it is that potentially because it is such a deep line muscle, the nerves which go into that area are, I guess, uh, are supplying the muscle a bit differently. And that might be something that contributes to maybe it's something that feels like a buildup of tightness there over time as opposed to that big pop moment there. Yeah, okay, so if people are having those sorts of um, symptoms, that is something that you could test and measure to say, yeah, have a week off, do some rehab or mm-hmm. prior to actually doing any more damage, I suppose. Yes, absolutely. It could be something where there is certainly some value in screening the strength and flexibility and power of that calf complex as a whole because it could be something that we can certainly get on top of before it becomes a more sinister injury there as such. Okay, yeah. So how would you evaluate um someone with, a, I suppose, what we've talked about, a mild strain right up to mm-hmm. a tear. Yeah, absolutely. So um, in terms of what we would have a look at for, for diagnosing muscle injuries there in general, the three key principles that we look at as a starting point is trying to figure out if there is an area of the calf that is sensitive to touch 
that lines up with their symptoms. We can often use that as a bit of a tool to help rule out if there's any referred pain or otherwise it's causing those symptoms. The, the other stuff that we would have a look at there as well is if there's any pain when that muscle group is stretched and then as well any pain when the, the muscle group is loaded there as well. The sneaky thing about calf injuries there, there sometimes is that we may not notice the soreness with lower level tasks such as doing a, a calf raise where you're coming up on your tiptoes, but it might be something where you're really needing to investigate that spring aspect of your assessment to start seeing those symptoms there come across. Um, things that can sometimes get confused with a calf tear without proper assessment. We're often considering Achilles tendon related soreness, low back pain, and, and sometimes other referred injuries from the knee there as well, among other things. So just quickly touch on low back pain. How yeah. does that, how's that relevant? Yeah, absolutely. So when we're, we're thinking of low back pain there as such, we know that the nerves that come out from different levels of the back they have a tendency to supply sensation and strength to different parts of the leg. And what we find with a couple of the lower levels of the back there as such, um, they tend to provide that supply to the, the calf complex there as a whole. So often we might find that when we're doing things that provoke the nerves that come out through those areas or alternatively some movements that compress areas of that back there as well, it, it may well replicate that person's symptoms. Yeah, fascinating, isn't it? Yeah. Everything's connected, isn't it? What's that song? <laughs> the <laughs> knee bone's connected to the hip bone, whichever yep, way was, it goes. <laughs> that was three years of physio for me there. <laughs> uh, so, so go back to this pop. You know, um, I have had a calf tear. Yeah. <laughs> and I did feel like I'd been, you know, a um, BB gun had been shot at the back of my leg and it, were, it was on a jump. Um, mm -hmm. And when I hit the ground, I then couldn't, or when, you know, when I landed, I then couldn't put any weight through it. So talk to me about why that happens. So I guess when we're thinking of that, that pop happening there, often it's something which we would associate with those more explosive tasks there as such. So whether it's something where you're having that rapid acceleration or alternatively having a, a, a big jump or something along those lines there as well. That may well be something that not only loads the soleus to, I guess, a quicker rate to what it may be accustomed to, but um, as we were saying before, it might be bringing that gastrocnemius muscle group more so to the party there as well. Um, in terms of whether the, the, the pop is more predictive of longer recovery times, it, it may not necessarily be the case. Often it's something that's not just necessarily down to the, the mechanism, but potentially the, the structures that are involved there as well. Um, the calf itself is a bit unique in that it tends to have a lot more connective tissue that surrounds it. Um, if we're thinking of that connective tissue or, or the calf as the whole is a bit like a steak, where we're seeing that connective tissue is almost like that bit of gristle and casing that's around the, the main meat there as such. And we find that often that casing around the muscle has less of a, a healing capacity there. And it is something we need to be a bit more careful with, with how we're managing there as such. And then of course, when we're considering any tendon involvement there as well, it's also something that needs a bit more TLC when it comes to its management and progressing loads. So is a tendon something you can actually, um, you know, build strength in or, and 
like you do with the muscle? Mm-hmm. Because you've obviously mentioned the tendon quite a few times. Is it, what mm-hmm. what are you doing? And maybe I'm jumping the gun a bit yet yep. because we haven't talked about <laughs> management, but and maybe save that. But it, obviously, you're nodding there, so it is something that you can work on as well. Yep, a- absolutely. Uh, I guess when we're thinking of the the muscle, we're often thinking more of that con- contractile element there as such. But um, the the tendon is very much about trying to find ways to retrain that spring. That, that absorption of load and then being able to transfer it quickly there as well. And um, it's it's certainly a big consideration when it comes to all calf injuries, regardless of if there's tendon involvement there or not. Mm. So why are they called or often referred to as old people's injuries? I really <laughs> yeah. don't like that at all. <laughs> you, you're asking the big questions there and it's, suddenly it's a bit concerning for me given I've had a few myself and yes, I'm not even yes. into my 30s there yet. <laughs> and I did hear one of the young athletes at the um, – actually, I think it was one of the netballs and I know they're not old at all, had, yep. had a calf tear injury recently <laughs> and I was very happy that um, – with their age. Yep. <laughs> not, for the, not about their injury but very happy that that was their age. Yep. Yep. Fortunately, it's something where there is – an association but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're, you're in the autumn of your running years the, the moment you, you do have a calf injury there as such but um in terms of what we tend to find that as you you get older often the overall muscle fiber length tends to reduce there as well which gives you a bit less pliability through that calf complex to, to play around with but then also conversely when we're thinking about that tendon and that stiffness and that ability to absorb loads that we talk about there before we actually find that the tendon itself becomes less stiff. So theoretically, if that tendon's not able to absorb load there quite as well, the muscle's then having to work harder, and then it also doesn't have that same pliability there as before. It becomes a a bit of a cocktail, which makes older runners more likely to get these injuries. And does good, you know, um, strength and conditioning prevent these, or are you still going to be you know, have a higher prevalence of getting them because of these factors you've mentioned? Strength and conditioning certainly plays a a role there as such. Um, It's certainly important that when we're thinking of doing strength and conditioning, I guess from a pure strength component, we're trying to increase the, the maximum force that the muscle itself can generate. So if we're getting to the point where it doesn't have to work as hard of its maximum strength capacity to be able to run, it's certainly something which is a, of, of, significant importance there as such otherwise outside of that when we're thinking of other risk factors which are important there as well often making sure you're having a good gradually built up pre-season is something that's super duper important there as well um, it's something that uh jamie barnes would have discussed in the previous podcast there as well and that a whole range of injuries there in general can be triggered by having poorly managed training loads there as such um, the other stuff that we would look to consider there as well within an S&C program is it's not just looking at the strength, it's looking at building the, the power of the muscle, it's looking at the, the strength endurance of the muscle. So it's almost the idea of trying to be able to do a reasonable number of repetitions with a reasonable amount of force and then, of course, building up that overall endurance of the calf there as well. Yeah, great. So how would you manage a calf injury? Yeah. What's what's best practice in your view? <laughs> yeah. um, Let it, letting me go back and play after a couple of weeks? <laughs> or maybe when uh, I can walk. <laughs> uh, I guess it's something where we're looking at being really systematic with how we, we build things up and coming back to, I guess, five key principles. A few of them I would have discussed before in terms of the strength, the max amount of force you can generate, 
looking a bit of strength endurance, that reasonable amount of force for a reasonable number of repetitions. We're looking at power in the calf, so the ability to generate that force quickly. And then also looking at muscle length, so the overall flexibility of the muscle, and then endurance there as well. Um, I think sometimes calf injuries among muscle injuries there in general, it, it might be something where we often undervalue the importance of a, a good rehab program. But a really important take-home message is that when it comes to, to calf injuries there as a whole, that one in five calf injuries tend to have a repeat episode of injury. And half of these recurrences tend to happen within two months of the initial injury. Um, so in terms of holes and things that we often see go wrong with calf rehab there as a whole is often there might be a bit too much of a skew towards maybe having a look at strength or strength endurance, but maybe not necessarily having a proper look at that overall endurance. Commonly what we'd find we, with rehab programs there in the past, people would maybe do a few stretches they maybe do a few calf raises on one leg. Maybe once you get into your three sets of 10. In the past, maybe physios might have been a bit more conducive to say, okay, you got your strength back, you got your flexibility back. Let's go back and go for a run. But I guess the, the issue is if you're doing three by 10 single leg calf raises, you're really only doing 30 efforts of absorbing load through there. On top of that, if we're thinking of the amount of forces going through there, you're really only lifting your body weight up and down. But then if we're weighing that up in terms of running there as a whole, we're talking about how that soleus can often absorb upwards of, of around eight or so times your body weight there as such. And then the typical runner tends to have a step rate of about 160 steps a minute there as such, or approximately 80 contacts on each leg. If you're spreading that out over going for a 30-minute run, that calf is going to absorbing load 2,400 times. So all of a sudden, if we're comparing that to just doing 30 calf raises there as a whole, there's a massive gap between where someone may be at with their rehab versus where they really truly need to get to to be properly rehabbed and ready to go if they're running once more. Yeah, because there is that point um, I remember where I was pain-free, but yep. I certainly wasn't strong. Mm -hmm. So I know I'm like, okay, I reckon I can go back to netball this week. Yep. But when I went and did some of the um, sort of running sprint testing um, I, I couldn't, and I could feel it. I could, I could feel that it wasn't quite right. And, and then mm -hmm. a couple of weeks later when it was retested, again, I, I hadn't been in pain now for probably four weeks, mm -hmm. um, but I could feel the improvement in that strength and almost the trust in it that it was okay. But that pain-free period is quite a um, bit of a, a dangerous period, isn't it? Because you, when, when you're not in pain, it's very easy to go, great, let's just go back and do what we've been doing. Absolutely. It's something where we're probably still finding a bit more information specifically when it comes to the calf injuries. But often what we're finding with hamstring injuries and we're looking at muscle length and getting flexibility back there as such, we're often finding that at halfway through your, your rehab phase or, or even less, um, we're finding we're getting full flexibility back through the, the hamstrings there as such. And often strength tends to, to come back, provided it's been a good rehab program within two weeks there as such. But what we're finding is that unless we're doing things to, to build up that endurance, building up those repeated contacts there as such, it can be a, a bit of a false sense of security there as such, unless you're doing those final steps well. Yeah. So do it, does a calf ever need surgery or is it something that fixes you know can you do it that badly that um that you they operate on them or is it always a rehab program that's that's an excellent question i i think when we're breaking things down there as a whole 
perhaps if it was a running athlete and there was a complete tear of the muscle, um, super duper uncommon, but it does happen. That may potentially be an indication for surgery there as such. Um, alternatively, if it was something where there was a complete rupture of not necessarily the uh, a calf muscle there as such, but alternatively the Achilles complex, often depending on what we'd be looking to get people back to, um, surgery certainly becomes a, a consideration there as well. But realistically, the, the vast majority of your, your calf injuries tend to respond well without surgical management. And would you say the timeframes are fairly similar? The timeframes can actually have a massive degree of variance there. Um, I think going back to Brady Green and Tanya Pizzari's study, they, they found that the differences in times for return to sport range from anywhere from seven days to upwards of over 100 days there as such. And often it realistically comes down to the proportion of, of the muscle that's injured there as such, and then also any other potential connective tissues that are involved, be it tendon or even a central tendon that runs through the, the length of the muscle. Often when that central tendon is affected, it often goes hand in hand with greatly extended recovery times there. Which can be very frustrating. <laughs> 100%. And it can be something which is especially frustrating. I've had a couple of people which have come to the clinic here where they've been diagnosed with your, your old muscle classification scale of having had a, a grade one tear. And often when we think of the, the older grading scale, it really only looks at the proportion of the muscle that's injured and, and nothing else. It doesn't look at the, the location or any other structures that might be involved. So for someone like them being three or four weeks down the line, um, having seen other people and feeling like they're, they're getting nowhere, it, it can be absolutely a source of frustration. But um, I guess it also goes to show that imaging is maybe only part of the picture and it doesn't necessarily completely dictate a rehab process that's involved or how long it'll take. And so what do you think your message is when you're rehabbing someone and they do, they are in that sort of frustrated phase of shouldn't I be better by now and shouldn't I be able to go back? You know, what, what's your approach to that? And I know you've had injuries, so you can personally, you know, attest to these, the frustrations as well, but how do you manage that? Um, it can be something that is really tough from both a, not only a physio perspective, but also from an athlete perspective there as well. Often the, the vast majority of calf tears I tend to see come from your, your running populations and they're probably a little bit different perhaps versus other sporting groups and it's something that they really strongly identify as and it's something that's part of their regular routine. So it's something that I can certainly empathise with that if it's something where you're running 100 plus Ks a week, realistically that's taking a significant portion of your week and it's probably something which gives you a lot of energy and positivity to do other things through your week there as such. Um, the, the good news is when it comes to calf tears, when they're managed well, they, they all do come good there ultimately. And there's lots of other things that we can do to help people, I guess, keep ticking over, whether it's their strengthening exercises, cross-training something can be beneficial there as well. While that might not necessarily be the, the same as running, it, it certainly has a lot of that positive carryover that the physical exercise can bring. Yeah, replacing it, as you said, with mm -hmm. yeah something else. That's great. And we did do a podcast with Sarah Klein, the Commonwealth um, marathon runner mm -hmm. who recently had an injury, and she talked about a whole strategy of things that she then tries to put into her day, exactly what you said, because her mm -hmm. running does take up so much time. So that was a great one to listen to as well. Mm -hmm. What else can you share with us about the management? Four. When um, you get that big high five that you say to someone, you can uh, go back to 
your full training and your your full running and <laughs> I hmm asking the big questions now. I'm not sure what gaps we haven't covered. At yeah, this I know. Point I don't think we've actually done quite well. Yeah. Um, I think the importance is, as you said, that that it it can be that frustrating time because you can be pain free pretty quickly, um, mm-hmm. but getting back to where you, you want to be does take time, and you have to be patient and put in the put in the hard yards. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it, when it comes to building up your running loads there once more, it unfortunately isn't as simple as being pain-free and going straight back into the mileages and intensities you were doing there before. It is realistically something where depending on the degree of injury, the time you have spent away from running, it may be something where we're left with realistically doing something as simple as doing a few 100-meter run-throughs or something along those lines as opposed to just going out and going straight off for a half hour jog there as such. Probably a, a common thing that we see that goes wrong with the, the mindset of athletes there as such when they are first getting back into running is it's almost that concept of feeling like they need to work hard enough to feel like they've got to work out when they're first getting back into things. When realistically those early stages of the game back into running are more so just trying to provide a, a positive loading experience for the calf to stimulate more of that that overall positive change there. I think the the most common way that we do see these calf injuries recur is literally from people thinking, Great, I'm pain free, I'm gonna go for my half hour jog. And and more often than not, it, it tends to end in tears, unfortunately. And does that if that happens again so quickly, does that then take a lot longer? That second time round, like you talked earlier about, um, that it you know that it happens again in people, you know one in five repeats and half within two months. So is that second one a lot I, longer to recover from? I guess uh, the issue is if there's a progression of that initial tear, tear, and if it's I guess undone all the healing of that original injury there as such, it can certainly be something which takes longer to heal. Um, the difficult thing, like we were saying before, when it comes to your soleus injuries there in particular, given it is something where it's that feeling of perhaps cumulative fatigue, or it might be something where those pain receptors are a bit slower in terms of sending those signals to the brain that something's not right, you may not necessarily know that you've caused a really decent setback to the calf until either after the run or the morning after the run there as well too. Yeah. yeah, right. So it is important to obviously get the proper um, advice and management, and mm-hmm. fo- and follow that management right through to the end. Yeah, one hundred percent. It's if there was one take home message, it's probably not as simple as doing some stretches, doing a couple of calf raises, and getting back into things. Realistically, you've got five different facets of rehab that you really want to make sure you're nailing throughout the program before you can a feel confident going back to running. But then on top of that, it's not just as simple as getting back to running. It's finding the ways to, I guess, most quickly and most safely get you back to those training loads you were doing pre-injury and beyond. Yeah, fantastic. Thanks so much for sharing all your knowledge on on the calf today. It's certainly, um, certainly a great topic and thank you very much. No problems at all. It's been a pleasure. If you have a topic you would like covered, get in touch via our socials. The contact details can be found in the episode notes. If you have loved listening today and are looking forward to future episodes, please subscribe, rate our show, share our podcast with your friends, work colleagues and families. So for now, goodbye. Thank you for tuning in today and see you next week.